Welcome to the Black Women's World Podcast, where we get VIP access into the lives of Black women, or as we like to call us, those who embrace the Sistanista vibe, because it's an adjective and a verb. We get to hear from some of our favorite guests and co-hosts as they share their worlds with us. We create connections, exchange realities, ideas, and baby, we get to recognize and celebrate how powerful we really are. Our sisterhood here is real, filled with peace, wisdom, hope, love, light, and laughter. (laughs) You know, the kind you can feel, the kind of encouragement that confirms we can do anything because we have, and the inspiration that proves we can be even greater. This is our world, where if you ain't a black woman, you may want to be one, (laughs) or definitely get to know one. It's a black woman's world, and you, my sister, are proof. Welcome to our queendom. I'm your host, Tracy Mack. Peace. Well, hello, everyone. Come on in and have a seat. Come on into the Queendom of the Black Women's World podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Mack, your self-discovery companion and your professional peacemaker. Have I got a treat for you today? Well, maybe it's more of a treat for me because I am so excited. (laughs) I tell you, um, it's hard for me to describe the excitement because when you love and like somebody and you get to talk to them on a personal level, but bring it to a professional platform, I'm going to tell you, God's got a way and it's mighty sweet. Um, Can anything good come out of Havelock, North Carolina? Hmm. I wasn't born in Havelock, but I was raised there for most of my grade school years. Havelock is a small military town adjacent to Cherry Point Marine Corps Air Station and home of the multiple 3A championship Havelock Rams football team. And though my guest and I graduated way back in 1987, I still show up just about to every football game that the team, when the team makes the state championship. But football and Marines aren't the only good things that come out of Havelock. I did, and I'm all right with me. (laughs) But there is someone who has taken the literary world by storm, a national best-selling and award-winning author for multiple books she is. We weren't tight friends in high school, maybe because we were both sheltered and pastor's kids and we both were in church more than God, I think. (laughs) But I worked and I read books and I was kind of, you know, a homebody. And it wasn't until we became roommates at Winston-Salem State University in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, which is a historically black college and university and HBCU. Hey, Ramley. It wasn't until then, and I'll share more about that experience with her because I want to give her the opportunity to to defend her sides of the stories. (laughs) But I will say there is no doubt that she loved to read way more than I did. Baby, I am almost sure that she had a book with the same amount of pages, if not more, than the book Moby Dick sitting on the dresser in our dorm, among other books. But she was such a kind person and still is. I remember a fellow classmate of ours told me back in 2007, I believe, that she had become an author. And I wasn't surprised. But I didn't realize how big time she had become until I was traveling back from Havelock to go back home to Raleigh. 
And the classmate told me that she was going to be doing a book signing at Barnes and Noble in New Bern. And uh, <laughs> I had attended several book signings, but I never knew any of the authors personally. I just like to get my hands on that book. I like to feel a book. And if I can get the author's autograph and interact with them. But this time I had to stop. But to my disappointment, I missed seeing her. But I hurriedly went in and purchased the book with such excitement as if her fame had become my own. And I stared at the beautiful cover of Unexpected Interruptions. And I whispered to myself, well, look a here, Havelock. <laughs> she had taken her love affair with books from reading to writing. And during her college days, she fantasized about writing a novel, envisioned herself at the top of the New York Times bestsellers list. But upon graduation, and with the next month's rent lo looming, you know, you got to pay the bills. <laughs> but she put that dream on hold and made a more practical choice and got that nine to five. But she would spend several years in a rewarding career in higher education. She continued to dream about writing books. And occasionally she dabbled, creating characters and plots in her head that somehow never made it past a few frustrating pages. Now, let's fast forward. After she earned her master's, master's degree from Wake Forest University and worked in a variety of management positions for corporate and nonprofit organizations, she still had and held on to her love for books and had the dream one day. How many of you know how important it is to have a dream? She had the dream of one day writing her own books. But then something happened that left her numb. She got laid off from her job. And I know a lot of people understand what that feels like right now. But sometimes a layoff can be a blessing. And I know I'm talking to a sister Nista or a sister Nista lover right now. Because with the current unemployment rate, I know many people will emerge prospering during a pandemic. And I pray you do. Because your gift will make room for you. And maybe like her, give you a similar testimony. But soon after being laid off, she wrote the first chapter of her first book, Unexpected Interruptions. And five months later, the novel was complete. Look at God. <laughs> but Unexpected in Interruptions went on to garner rave reviews, win literary awards, and top several bookstore and online bestseller lists. Yeah. And I'm so excited just thinking about it. But anyway, <laughs> her books that followed were Keeping Secrets and Telling Lies and Playing the Hand You're Dealt. And they were received with equal praise and recognition. And you know what? After accomplishing those literary achievements, a traditional publisher, Publishing Corp, offered a book deal and purchased all three of her originally self-published novels. Can you believe it? Can you believe you, you having a dream to write and you publishing the books yourself and then here comes a company and gives you an offer? And so Kensington re-released re her books and gave her work much broader distribution, both online and in retail stores. And since that time, she has published six Count them, six additional novels. And I'm proud to say 
that I have them all and I've read them all. Look at here, Havelock. <laughs> and even her latest book, The Other Side, had me sucked into the lives of Bernadette and Walter, especially the day she went to Panera. <laughs> and then uh, Tess and Antoine. Uh, you got to read uh, half of what she does to his clothes. No pun. No, there is a pun intended. And then there's Arizona and Chris. You know, they the saints. But honey, you have got to read her movie-worthy books. She has encouraged me to become an author and coached me in self-publishing, which gave me the courage and the tools to start my own book and publishing companies. In 2013, I wouldn't be a three-time best-selling author and an, and an award-winning author had it not been for her. I'm so grateful for her and to her for that. You know, because if books are like babies, because people say they're having a book baby because you feel like something is growing in you and you have to birth it. So if books are like babies, then my books are her nieces and nephews. <laughs> I'm grateful for her. I love and like her, as you can tell. She was my roomie. She's my sister friend, my mentor in the world of authorship. And she is one of the kindest people I know. So without further ado, I introduce to you and welcome one of my favorite sister nieces, Trice Hickman to the Black Women's World Podcast. Hey, Rumi, welcome to BWWP. Hey, Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just smiling and grinning and thinking, oh. <laughs> I had to tell the truth and set you up nice. <laughs> Thank you. I am. I truly, truly am humbled. And I just want to say I love you and thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. And I'm so proud of you and this for, you know, just imagining this this podcast and what it can do for people, especially during this time. So I just want to to congratulate you and let you know that I appreciate you. And I appreciate this platform. You're more than welcome. I, as I set out to do the podcast, I, it was just so many women who I know and even the ones I haven't met yet who I know have something they can offer the world, especially black women during uh, this climate in our world, our country. We have always mattered. And I wanted to make sure we had a voice. And your voice is one of the ones I wanted to make sure that we that we hear literally and in uh, in, in reading. And but but you know how I always start a conversation off. How are you doing and how are you feeling? Thank you. Well, <laughs> I am sleepy and tired, <laughs> but, but hopeful, but hopeful, because just like most Americans and people, frankly, from around the world, I have been glued into the election results as they come crawling in Um to decide the who will be in uh, the White House for the next four years. And so mm -hmm. I am just literally only getting like an hour or two of sleep a night, but I do feel hopeful. Mm -hmm. 
um, mm-hmm. footage throughout the process. And as I posted to te- today on social media, Jesus take the whole wheel and be yes. an election <laughs> poll counting <laughs> official. <laughs> yes. yes, Jesus take the wheel, the car, the tires, <laughs> put some gas in it. <laughs> Because, you know, by the time this show airs, Trice, we will know. But today is is uh, November 5th and we don't know yet. Uh, it's 1129, November 5th. And we don't know uh, who our next president is yet. But by the time the listeners hear this podcast or this episode, we will all know. So mm-hmm. I agree with you about being hopeful and the collective stressors are can be very overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And. And and speaking of authorship, I have found it very cathartic to write, even if it's not anything I publish, but to write, to journal and to read, uh, whether it be the actual book I touch or audible, you know, just to to help me get through these these trying times. What if what have you found to be your go to uh, stress relievers? You know, for for me, reading always and whether I'm reading Um, a novel, whether I'm reading a magazine, whether I'm reading some articles online, that always helps to relieve any kind of stress that I have. And um, I've spent this time uh, plotting out my next book. But Mm -hmm. something that has really been helping me that I used to do religiously and just got away from for years was journaling. Mm -hmm. And um, so I guess it was about maybe four months ago, I picked up my journal again, Um, maybe six months, I'll say six months ago, I I picked up my journal again, and I have been journaling at the end of the day. And it's helpful for me, because sometimes I will go back a couple of weeks or a couple of months, and I'll Mm -hmm. look at how I was feeling, what was going on in my life, and I'll see how, if that was, if I was going through a particularly difficult time or a challenging day, it just makes me realize, you know what, each day that we have a challenge, what we Mm -hmm. have to do is just put forth the effort to say, I'm going to get through it. Mm-hmm. And you go on to the next day because the next day leads into the next and the next and the next. And what it has shown me so clearly and vividly is that no matter what happens, no matter what happens to us, we can get through it. Yes, yes, you are absolutely right. You are absolutely right. And I journal and I agree with everything you just said. It is amazing. I I, I do. If I can't Sometimes I get so heavy. It depends on the, the what has happened the day. If I've had a a pretty eventful day and a lot of clients, sometimes I can't quite get the words. So I'll start with gratitude. Mm. I'll just list things I've, I'm grateful for, and then I can embellish from there. You know, and I try to start. If I start the morning with gratitude, sometimes it sets the tone of the day. Now we have some crap that hits us on the regular here lately. <laughs> But yeah. but some kind of way, if we can just see just a little bit of a silver lining, even if it's just one thing. But I agree with that gratitude and also gives us the opportunity to go back and and like you said, look at our growth, that this was happening. The things I wrote today uh, in my in my uh, journal, uh, November 5th, 2020. Prayerfully, I'm alive and well 10 years from now and I'll go back and say, what? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes. And, you know, Tracy, I'll tell you in a very, just to be completely transparent, I was beginning to sink into guilt and depression um, a couple Mm -hmm. of weeks ago. Um, And I had to go back and look at my journal and read some things that I had written to get me out of it. And um, what sent me there was uh, last month, my brother passed away. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, he, um, yes. Marcus was um, only 53 years old and he went to sleep one night and just did not wake up the next morning. Wow. Um, he had heart failure in the middle of the night. And mm-hmm. so it was a complete and utter shock and devastation to me, to my mother, you know, to our family. And um, I think the grief was compounded because last year on Valentine's Day, I lost my father. Wow. And so I, I was trying to figure out in my mind, you know, you know, when you lose a parent, that's part of your connection to the world, right? And so mm-hmm. it's a devastating feeling. But then when you lose a sibling, it's, it's almost more tragic because your sibling, like my brother, he was my first playmate. Mm. Yeah. I mean, when I was riding a, learning to ride a bike, when I fell, Marcus was there to pick me up. And Mm. so in many ways, his death affected me. And maybe, like I said before, it's the compound grief of my father. And Mm -hmm. I'm starting to, you know, naturally grieve and and have some depression, but also I was beginning to feel guilt. Wow. Guilt came in because during the time that he passed, it was right before my anniversary, my wedding anniversary. And so at a time where I wanted to celebrate and feel happy, I Mm -hmm. felt guilty to feel happy you know Mm -hmm. and so I don't I don't know if other people who go through grief feel that way I'm sure people probably do and maybe you don't even know what that is but Mm -hmm. for me I quickly you know I identified this uncomfortable feeling and through reading some of my previous journals when I was talking about happiness and you know actually reconnecting in um, a more profound way with my brother, ironically, before he passed, Mm -hmm. I realized that I was feeling guilty about having joy, but that my brother would be, have been just so upset with me if he knew that I was sitting around moping instead of celebrating. And so that's how I had to get beyond that guilt Mm -hmm. Um, because the people who love us, who are no longer here with us, Mm -hmm. if they love you, they want you to be happy. And so I realized I owed it to my brother who's not here to live and be happy, to live and be happy. Wow. I don't think you realize, first of all, my condolences. I knew your dad Reverend Hickman and I knew Marcus and when you told me of your dad's passing and 
you know, right before your wedding. And then when Marcus passed, it all at my heart just sank and it just went out for you because number one, I, I, I love you. And, you know, you don't know what to say, Thanks. but all I could let you know is that I was, I was going to be there and still, because sometimes people rush in just after uh, you find out someone has uh, deceased and you need somebody there six months, a year later, because grief is a whole nother life of its own. And just like our fingerprints, we all get to handle it differently without apology. And I just admire your strength. And I, and I don't mean that from the standpoint of um, people who have to be strong. I think there's a difference between strong and strength. But it's just a way that you carry yourself that even admitting, I, you know, I've been depressed. You know, I felt guilty. That takes strength because there's strength and vulnerability. And I just want to thank you for sharing that because I don't know if you realize how many people you have just blessed. Oh, well, thank you, Tracy. They all got to cry. But because because think about the climate we're living in, you know, and, you know, your father passed before the pandemic and, and Marcus cause of death was not pandemic related, but we have lost over 200,000, almost 300,000 mm. people. Mm. And regardless of the cause of death, people are still having to deal with the grief yes. and not having the, the closure that we once were able to get to some degree. And I don't believe we can really get closure, but I think we can get, uh, at least, uh, the end as far as being able to have the funeral and to celebrate the life that people are not able to get. And so I just want to thank you for just sharing that because it means a lot um, to, to you, you use journaling, you, you use the admitting. And I think some people don't even realize or want to admit it's depressing to lose a loved one. It is, it is. And if you don't deal with it, it will deal with you. It will deal with you. Say it again. Say it again. (laughs) It will. It will. And, you know, I am still recovering. I am still dealing every day. There are some days that are better than others, but there are some days where, you know, I'll just think about my brother and I'll think about my, my dad and I will just cry. I will just Mm -hmm. cry. But I know that, once I cry and get it out because one of my cousins, she texted me just the other day or just yesterday, as a matter of fact, and she told me it's okay to grieve, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I know that I I need to grieve. And and like you said, grief grief has no time table. Mm -hmm. Everyone grieves differently. And, but once I, I get my cry out and once I, I grieve, I know that to live this life, to be prosperous, to be good to myself and my family, I have to move forward. I have to put one foot in front of the other and move forward every day. My husband has this saying, he always says, we can choose happiness. Mm. I like that. We can choose happiness. And that's what I choose. I choose happiness every single day. Yes. And you do. Because I mean, even with this, you know, I have always, always had a heavy voice. And, you know, when we were roommates, you know, um, I'm gonna go ahead and tell that story. But (laughs) (laughs) 
but but I, I agree with with husband Todd choosing happiness. It's a choice choosing joy, even though we go through things and things are painful. But um, even with with grief, grief is just proved that you love somebody yeah. and they're no longer there for you to give that love to. It used to be a person there. It used to be a relationship there. And that's no longer there. So grief is having love for someone who's no longer there to give it to. And it's okay because anything can trigger a smell, a TV show, whatever. So I just, I want to thank you again, because it's not just Americans. We have millions of people who uh, have lost loved ones, millions of people who have died, not just from um, the pandemic, the COVID-19, but whatever the cause of death. And I thank you for speaking to them. And your, but your voice, uh, the way you say things, and you know I'm gonna mock you. Um, we have to be <laughs> because because it's always so pleasant. Because I'm about to tell on you right now, y'all. Back in 1987, oh, minding okay. my own business, <laughs> minding my own business, laying in bed by myself. I get awakened. At five o'clock in the morning. And by and Trice and I didn't start off being roommates. I had a different roommate first, and some things went down, and I decided to move. And she had an and she was the only one in her room. So she offered Tracy in her nice little voice for me to come and be her roommate. And I was like, yes. So didn't know that she was an early riser. Not only an early riser. But this joke, this joker had to go to the cap. <laughs> Every morning. Not just go to the cap, but be first. <laughs> you know, the rest of us, you know, if we had some cereal, we might have cereal, we might skip it. Or, you know, we got packets of ramen noodles, but we ain't getting up at five to be at the cab by seven. <laughs> but I could not get angry because she would invite me to go. And if I didn't go, she would still awaken me in the morning with this voice right here. Good morning, Tracy. <laughs> the, the Disney princesses don't have nothing on that voice. You hear me? <laughs> You know, I am rolling right now. <laughs> I remember those days. <laughs> because you know I'm telling the truth. <laughs> and you know, it's so funny because when I think about it now, I think, Lord, you were a saint because some people would have probably said, listen, <laughs> don't say anything to me. The sun is not out. <laughs> Maybe it has something to do with the similarities we hadn't discussed because we were we we knew of one another. But, you know, growing up as preacher's kids, we probably went through enough that just being out of the house. <laughs> that was a blessing. <laughs> that was a blessing. It was like, wake me up as long as I ain't got to go back home. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, because you're right. We were both pretty sheltered growing up. And, yeah. you know, we didn't go out to the parties or hang out or anything like that. So I don't know about, well, mm-hmm. you know, freshman year, it was an eye-opening experience for me because, number one, we were at an HBCU and our um, our high mm-hmm. school was not very diverse in terms of um, ethnicity, in, in terms of geography. Yes, it was mm-hmm. because kids were from mm-hmm. all over the world because of the military. But I think the African-American right. population, the black population at Havelock High was less than 10%. I know it was way less than 10%. Um, and then mm-hmm. to go from that to... You know, you look to your left, you look to your right, and everyone around you looks like you. It was, you know, a culture shock, but a culture shock in a good way. Yes, yes. And and I, I you are exactly right, because I didn't realize how black <laughs> I was. <laughs> and then my daughter had the luxury of having the same experience. Her high school, or should I say her friends in high school were from different, um, were, you know, she maybe a maybe 10, 15% were, were black, but she played tennis and she did those things. People equate to white sports. She played tennis. She was on different in different uh, clubs and extracurricular activities that are normally uh, assumed to be white. So when she got to Winston-Salem State, uh, no coercion from me, but I'm glad she's in the Ramley. But she was like, mom, I love it here. <laughs> you know, isn't that wonderful? Because, and just for all, all Everyone listening, all the um, the audience members, both of our girls, Tracy's daughter, my daughter, Ebony, they both are yes. students at Winston-Salem State University, our alma mater. They're part yes. of the family. But um, Ebony had the same yes. experience. She went to a predominantly white um, high school. And I think the mm-hmm. just the minority population in general, not just African-American, but the minority population in general at her high school was about maybe five percent yeah and but she um she knew she wanted to go to an hbcu she was against going to winston-salem state because her dad and i both went there and she wanted to be different and her Mm -hmm. brother went there and um so but when she went on campus and looked around and did the student tour She said, I am home. And girl, you just don't know. My heart was filled with joy. Her dad was excited. And so, you know, so both of our girls are there on campus. And how ironic is it that my daughter is in Atkins Hall, which is, you know, all freshman girls are in Atkins Hall. But Tracy, she is on Mm -hmm. the third floor. And that was the same floor that you and I occupied our freshman year. Wow. <laughs> See, I didn't know she was on the third yeah, she's floor. She's on the third serious? floor, and her room is around the corner from ours. <laughs> Are you serious? Because uh, my daughter, Jada, she was on the fifth floor in Atkins last year. But the third floor, and look, we had the, the luxury of being right in front of the oh, elevator. Didn't you hate it? <laughs> <laughs> I had the most interesting experience on that third floor. <laughs> <laughs> Between the elevators and the payphone, <laughs> Father God, Father God, we made it. We did, we did. and it seemed like such a, a simpler time back then. 
I think about mm-hmm. the kids now um, who are on campus during this pandemic, during this time of social and political unrest and everything you're dealing mm-hmm. with as young people. And I'm, I'm proud of many of the students there because they have done what they have been asked to do. The COVID rate is very low at that school. Um, at Winston-Salem State. Um, every time we encounter, I see students um, with their masks on. And so it's very important for everyone to wear their masks. And I'm so glad that the students are doing that, not just the students, but the faculty, the staff, the vendors who are on campus, the visitors out, you know, where you are allowed to go and what I can't even go inside my daughter's dorm because I don't live there. And so, you know, that introduces a whole nother element. So, and, and they're still able to thrive and keep going through all of these hurdles. So I'm so proud of. Likewise, I am too, um, because we've gone, you and I have gone to, to take them things up to the campus. And I love the fact that we check in with one another before we take the trip to see if um, you see if Jada needs anything or I see if Ebony needs anything. Um, And that's what community and and friendship and Ramily (laughs) is all about. But I, I am proud of them as well. Uh, seeing that they were able to stay on campus, unlike many other colleges and universities. And um, even at the accelerated pace that they're having to take because of not having a fall break, I am so proud of them and thank God for keeping them, you know, healthy. Uh, And uh, they'll be home soon, you know, but that whole world of of college, that whole world and and them adjusting so well, um, I'm grateful for, but that comes from support, And um, I wanted to ask you about support because, um, you know, you know, I follow you on social media. I'm a friend and a fan, (laughs) you know, uh, but I I saw where you mentioned on social media just this morning about having a support system. Have you and and that you have one and are grateful for it. Have you ever not had the support system you felt you needed, especially as an author, as a sistanista, a black woman? Uh, have you ever not had the support you needed? And and what did you do? do? How did you deal with that? You know, yes, I have. Um, and um, when I, I think I had reposted something about that this morning that mm-hmm. I had posted years ago. And it brought me back to that place years ago. Um, I was previously married. And while there were certain parts of my marriage that, were very disappointing. Um, one of them was the lack of support in terms yeah. of just emotional support. You know, you can you can tell someone something, but you have to show them. <laughs> you know, so someone can say, "Oh, I support mm-hmm. you in your career. You're going to do well." But if you don't give me the mm-hmm. time that I need, if you don't if you say I love you, but then you ignore mm-hmm. that person or mm-hmm. whatever it may be, you know, you have to really follow through with support in whatever you do. You have to have support from someone, whether you're trying to write a book, whether you're trying to get through school, whether you're trying to whatever your endeavor is that you're in. Right. You can't do it alone. We don't go through this life 
alone. At some point, you're going to need someone for something. And so you need to surround yourself with people who are going to have your best interest at heart, who will feel joy Mm -hmm. and celebrate when Mm -hmm. you achieve something, you know, as if they achieved it themselves. Um, The experience that you were saying you felt when you saw my book, I mean, that Mm -hmm. is true support. That's love. That's Mm -hmm. joy. That's happiness. And so I didn't always have that in my first marriage. And it took me a long time to realize it. And to your question of, you know, how did I overcome it? I had to make one of the hardest decisions of my life. I had to Mm. leave my marriage. After 20 years, I had to step out uh, on faith. And not a lot of people knew this, not even some of my Mm -hmm. close family members. Because when you're Sometimes when you're in an unhappy relationship or an unhappy situation, you keep it to yourself because for me, it was, I didn't Mm -hmm. want to be judged, um, especially because of some of the particulars that was happening in my, in my um, marriage. But I didn't want to, you know, I was, I I grew up also in an era where you keep your business to yourself. But my daddy was, you know, (laughs) I don't want to hear my business in the street. (laughs) That's That's right. And so what I didn't what I didn't realize though was that through opening up through sharing um, not only was I freeing myself and helping myself I could help other people as well but I learned that later on down the line but I kept a lot to myself and so when I left my marriage what I did was I packed up what I could fit mm. into my car I drove from Washington DC to my parents house in, you know, mm-hmm. our hometown. And I lived in the bedroom that I grew wow. up in for wow. several months <laughs> until I could find a place of my own. And it was a very mm-hmm. humbling experience because, you know, at the time I was, you know, successful in my career. I was to the world, I probably seemed really happy and even to people who who knew me in social cir- circles, um, but they didn't know what was going on in my mm-hmm. life behind closed doors. And so it was a humbling experience for me to leave um, what I had in Washington, D.C., uh, to come and live in the room that I, you know, look up at the wall and see Michael <laughs> Jackson on the wall from when I was a kid. <laughs> You know, um, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait, was, was it the off the wall poster? Oh. Off the wall, girl. You know, it was off the wall. <laughs> that was when I thought I was going to be okay. Mrs. Michael Okay, yeah. I hear you, but see, you know what? I thought our dads were the same strict. At least you could have an off the wall poster. I had one, but I couldn't put it up. <laughs> You know, I had that bad boy tape to the wall. <laughs> you know? Have you ever set out to do something new and you weren't quite sure where to start? 
or you didn't know if you had the right tools to get started and to do it right. Or when it comes to podcasting, you don't have to worry about that anymore. Because if you haven't heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that will allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can even make money from your podcast if you want to with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Tell them Tracy Mack sent you. Peace. Hey, y'all. I really hope you are enjoying the conversation that I am having with best-selling and award-winning author Trice Hickman here on the BWWP. I want to make sure you have her contact information. Go to TriceHickman.com. Dot com. That's T-R-I-C-E-H-I-C-K-M-A-N.com. Go to her website and you can find out more about her six best-selling and award-winning books. Trice does keynote speeches as well as hosts book clubs. Now, I have been a part of some of the book clubs she's hosted. And baby, let me tell you, the conversation is riveting. <laughs> it's engaging and unforgettable. So reach out to Trice because the conversation will be oh so nice. Mm, I made that rhyme. <laughs> But anyway, let's get back to VIP access and to the life of one of my favorite sister nieces, Trice Hickman. Peace. You've been listening to Black Women's World Podcast. It was, it, was, it was a humbling experience to have to do to do that. But I knew that at that point in my life, um, and, and in being totally transparent, at that time I was almost forty-five years old. I was on the cusp of turning forty-five, and I looked at things very logically as well. I said, you know, I am more than halfway over with. <laughs> at the point of my mm-hmm. my lifespan, mm-hmm. the normal lifespan of, of the average woman. And so I'm above that. So I know what the first half of my life has been like. What do I want the next half of my wow. life to look wow. like? That is, that's so much wisdom, Trice. And I think it takes humility to birth that type of wisdom sometimes. Not, not all the time. But when you just said, what do I want the next half of my life to look like? Was I know that wasn't just, just a question for you, but what gave you the strength to act upon the answer? You know, I had to look deep down and say, what is it that I really, really want? And I, ironically, it's what my, my husband, what I, I, I said earlier that my husband says, I wanted happiness. And I did not realize how unhappy I was because I wasn't sad, because I wasn't 
um, clinically depressed, um, because I was thriving in my career, I didn't even think about being unhappy. I was unfulfilled. I knew that I was unfulfilled mm -hmm. in my marriage, which was a large part of, um, you know, my, de my decisions about happiness because the relationships we're in, people can try to, well, I don't know. It may mm -hmm. depend upon the person, but sometimes people can try to fool themselves into thinking, well, you know what? I'll just grin and bear yeah. it. Why? We don't have to. We don't have to grin and bear anything. I had to realize that I deserved mm -hmm. happiness, that my life was was worthy of happiness. And I had to make a hard decision in order to be happy. Now, I don't want to bash my ex-husband at all because, you know, it wasn't his responsibility mm -hmm. to make me happy. It was I my love responsibility. It. I love it. I happiness. love it. I love it. I love that you said that. I love it because a lot of times when we say things like, I want to be happy, we want to put that responsibility on other people, as well as sometimes we don't even know what happiness looks like. So right. when we say, I want to be happy, and then we don't, if it came and slapped you in the face, you, you wouldn't know that that was it, <laughs> you know, but you know, you're, you're so right, because a lot of people can say what they don't want. I don't want someone to treat me like this. I don't want this. I don't want that. It's easy to identify what you mm -hmm. don't want. But what is it that Absolutely. you do want? And, and then once you identify what you want, then you have to quickly put a plan into, into place so that you can act upon it to achieve what you want. And for me, it was, you know, I wanted a loving relationship. I wanted happiness. I wanted some joy. I wanted to live my life in a different way. And I knew in my situation that I was in at that time that it that just was not mm -hmm. going to be possible. And again, not putting any responsibility on him, but putting that responsibility on myself mm -hmm. and what I had to do. And it was ultimately the best decision that I could have ever made in my life because while it was uncomfortable going through it, while it was scary and uncertain mm -hmm. at times, it eventually led me to the happiness that I have today. And I wouldn't be married to what I feel, who I think is the most wonderful man. I know you know, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, you say Todd, I'll say Owen, and let's just break the tie and say Michael Jackson. <laughs> Off the wall, Michael Jackson. Not after, <laughs> right. not after. <laughs> right. We have to be specific about that one. We can touch and agree on that. <laughs> but I mean, I, I love the fact, you know, I met Todd and, and, and I think we connected just when you were going through, we reconnected when you were going through that transition. And I recall us talking and uh, I was just admiring your work and what you were, were doing. And you began to explain to me the situation you were in. And I think it was just uh, by the grace of God, we connected at that moment because uh, you confided things in me. And you were able to teach me. So it was like we did an exchange. And um, I'm grateful for that. And how much of your life uh, or your experiences do you pull into the world of authorship? 
Oh, a mm-hmm. great deal. I think that most, or I believe that most writers, especially writers of um, of creative fiction, we take creative license with either people we know or situations that we've been in. And while I will not write about anyone specific, because mm-hmm. I try not to do that, um, I do draw on experiences that I've had and I fictionalize them. So, but, but what I do try to stay away from though is imparting like how I would do things upon my characters. And that's why with each character I develop, I um, develop a, a, a resume, so to speak, or a biography of each character. I know the kind of wine they like to drink, the clothes they like to wear, their favorite restaurant. I develop a whole complete biography of these characters so that I can write in their voice and not my own. Because many of the things my characters do, I would be like, oh, Let me tell you, you (laughs) are masterful at that. I'm going to tell you because I know you. And when I read, I forget all about it's you. Because <laughs> you are totally di- some of these jokers. These babe, uh, let's just let's just uh, let's just go to the most recent book, the other side. When you you paint a picture and you use real world events and colors and textures and smells and locations, I mean, uh, take for instance, um, on in the other side when you start talking about um, Bernadette and Walter. And the, the the day she brought lunch, for, I don't want to tell the book because I want the people go get the book, The Other Side by Trice Hickman. But the, them going to Panera, everybody can relate to Panera. But what tra- what yeah. transpired between the two of them, I'm like, where in the hell Trice get this from? Because this is not her. <laughs> well, you know what? I take that as a great compliment. I'm like, listen, wait a minute, who, 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 who? I'm getting excited. My voice gets high when I get excited. I'm like, who is, but I mean, when you do, you describe what they have on, you describe what music they like. And I'm like, it has to take you building, you just said it, a character's whole profile and resume. And then you speak through that and not from you. And I, you are, you are masterful. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, because I'll be getting mad with characters. <laughs> we want to fight characters. <laughs> And then I'm going to go ahead and say it. You be writing some love scenes and I'm like, oh, I'm going to tell your mama. <laughs> you know, that is so funny because when I when I wrote my first book, Unexpected Interruptions, and there were some steamy scenes in that book, I felt kind of embarrassed because, you know, it's like my father is a minister. My mother is the president of the Ministers <laughs> Wives Association. Lord, and there you go. <laughs> and here I go with this stuff. And so I, I started writing in a different voice. I started writing, thinking with my parents in mind. And then when I went back and reread it, I was like, no, these characters would absolutely not operate in this way. I've got to be true to these characters. And that's one thing that I will tell writers, whether you're writing fiction or nonfiction, be true to that story. Be true because the your audience and those characters or that story deserves mm-hmm. truth. 
And so when I wrote in their truth, I went back and reread it and it was it was exactly as it should have been. And so I went to my mother, I'll never forget it, went to mom and I said, mom, I said, there's going to be some scenes in this book, some adult scenes. And she said, what do you mean, baby? <laughs> and I said, well, these characters are going to be having sex and, and lots of <laughs> <up." laughs> You, you, you know, audience, I don't want y'all to think it's anything crazy, but no, listen, it, but listen, Trice, it ain't nothing they ain't never done before. Just hold that right there. And, you, look, and that's what my mother told me, and that's what I was. I, I mean, that set me free because my mother just she she paused for a minute or two, and if you know my mom, she's yes, just she the is. Person. She just paused. yes, she is. <laughs> she paused for a minute or two when she said well baby she said I, I, I've been living in this world twice as long as you have and you're not going to write anything that I haven't either seen, heard, read or experienced <laughs> that's I what said, I'm okay. talking about that's what I'm talking about Miss Hickman that's what I'm talking about <laughs> it gets me even when it comes to the natural acts or human behavior how people get so poshed and um, I don't even know the word for it. I'm just amazed at uh, there's another episode uh, that that we that we I think it will air before this one. And we talk about uh, sexuality, not not to a great extent, but it's mentioned and how people get so closed off. But yet it's things we do is it's just like uh, and, and I may be going into the, another uh, uh, space here, but it's just like profanity. People will persecute mm-hmm. me if I say a, a, a word, one of the five or seven. But they go to the movie and watch it. They pay to go watch it. And then as far as I'm concerned, uh, those those words, who said they were profanity? Who sat in the room and said these seven, five or seven words are bad? Who took the vote? And then <laughs> when you think about it, they're just an ar- arrangement of consonants and vowels because it's the spirit you put behind words that make them profane and curse. And I had the experience from my days and I'm not knocking church because they're good and bad people in church. It's like anywhere else. But I have seen people curse people without using profanity. Uh, they sat right in church every yeah. Sunday. So um, when it when we talk about uh, sexuality, especially folks that's old and married, I mean, Trice, we north of 50. If we can't talk about it, who can talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> And if we can't talk about it, that is a sad commentary about life. It really it is. is. But it's one of the most natural things that you can do. Um, and I enjoy talking about it in my books or ex- exploring it in my books. And in this most recent book, um, The Other Side, it, one of the characters, Arizona and Chris, th- the, the element of sexual dysfunction is explored mm-hmm. and, you know, how important is sex in a relationship and you, how do you approach it when there is dysfunction in that relationship? A lot of couples, particularly married mm-hmm. couples, have dysfunction in sexual dysfunction in their relationship Mm -hmm. and people suffer in silence but just like I said happiness is a right everybody deserves to be happiness 
I think everyone, especially women, I'm talking to mm-hmm. women here, women deserve to be sexually satisfied. Exactly. And I think because it's not talked about, some women don't even know what sac- sexual satisfaction is. And I love the fact that in the other side, when you're talking about Arizona and Chris, especially early on, and they are a Christian couple, um, the saints, I call it. <laughs> and because right. a lot of marriages... Um, are unhappy and and we met you, you and I were talking earlier about support if you don't think you have to be supported sexually that's part of it um <laughs> but when you think about support it takes on a different definition and in marriage it takes on every definition so uh, being able to talk about it especially if you old and married and you can't <laughs> you can't explore you know uh, your own sexuality, uh, I, I think we're doing a disservice to ourselves, our own happiness and fulfillment. And it can, a lot of frustration can set in. Sometimes you think it's the bills and it's the sex. Or sometimes it's, you think it's the sex and it's the bills because it's all relationships about communication, sex, and finance, period. It, it really is. And as many um, therapists say, sex is you know, it's a it's an important part of the relationship, but when the sex is good, it's only ten percent of the mm-hmm. relationship. Mm-hmm. The sex is bad, it's ninety percent <laughs> of the relationship. <laughs> because when you think about it, in in one of my books, um, there was a character who was a spoken word artist, and she. Um, she did a spoken word piece about the five senses and really sex is one of the few acts that we can enter into with another person that explores all five senses at once, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. your touch, your taste, your smell, your feel, you know, the, the hearing you, you, when you interact with someone in a sexual way, mm-hmm. you engage all five senses at once. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and that is and what's wrong with that? That it, that's everything right about life. <laughs> you know, when you feel that level of intimacy with someone, that you exchange all five senses collectively at the same time. And so, who would want to leave that experience not satisfied? Absolutely. And it ties into, you know, many um, health experts agree that sexual health is tied into your physical and emotional health. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know that even though I'm not a clinician, therapist or or counselor in my work as a coach and consultant, um, when we do have to do a little bit of uh, excavation with people's lives, a lot of times sexuality the lack thereof or or not even being able to identify um, their sexuality is is a big problem and in personal and professional relationships from the church house to the workplace. Um, and and I appreciate your freedom for your characters to uh, be who they are and use sexuality as an expression. And no, uh, America and other countries who may be listening, this Trice's books are not just about sexuality. It's about the everyday lives of Black women and men and, and uh, people of who they're connected to. And sexuality just happens to be a part of it, just like it is in your own life. 
And so right. twice when you're thinking about and you're, you're building that resume and that profile for that character and you get to speak through their voice, um, which may not be anything like your own. What are some other um, things you may tell a new author uh, or some innovative ideas about writing and even promotion and publishing? Well, the number one thing is, again, support, um, having a good support system around you because writing is a solid, even though it's a solitary endeavor, it's just you at that keyboard, um, you know, with that story, you have to have buy-in from other people to be successful in Mm -hmm. it. Meaning, let's just say you have a family, you have children, or you have friends, or you have any kind of network. There are times when you will have to, you know, kind of abandon them um, because writing requires, as you know, Tracy, from finishing and and publishing writing and publishing your own books, Mm -hmm. you have to have hours and hours of dedicated, uninterrupted time in order to complete the book. It's easy to say I'm going to write a book. It's harder to actually do it and complete it. So one of the most important things I would tell a new or aspiring writer is to make sure that you have a strong, again, a strong support system around you because those people are going to um, have to be there to help you to stay disciplined Um, and to, when I say be there to help you stay disciplined, be there to uh, support you during the times that you need to um, go into your writing cave and do what you have to do. If that means, okay, we're going to make dinner tonight for you, or we're going to go out and get this for you. Mm-hmm. You need to have people around you who can help you in that. And the next thing is that it goes hand in hand, that discipline. Um, a lot of people say, oh, I don't have time to write, or I can never find the time to write. And what I have learned from writing book after book is that you have to make the time. We all make time for what's important to us. If you want to get your hair done, you make an appointment with your at your salon. Mm-hmm. If you want to go to a concert or whatever, you go online and you buy those tickets and you schedule it on your calendar. You have to do that with your writing. Every right. single day, you have to think about, when am I going to write? Am I going to write today? Am I going to write tomorrow? Some some people are fortunate enough to be able to do it every day, and some have to do it every other day. But every um, schedule will allow, make sure that you schedule time for your writing. Um, I agree. Schedule. I so agree with you on that, Trice, because... Um, I know, you know, as you, you write fiction, I write nonfiction, but you still have to be as dedicated. I think, um, at some points and there's some seasons where I write every day and, and just because you're writing every day, it doesn't mean what you're writing is something that's going to be published. It's just staying in the habit. And like you said, having the discipline and you discipline something, uh, you become disciplined in something by, uh, doing it frequently. Uh, So even when I haven't written a book since 2016, but I have to write curricula, I have to write uh, different things, but I haven't uh, put it in a book format in a while. And but the discipline to write is still there because for the most part, I write something just about every day just to keep my wheels greased. (laughs) Yes. 
Yeah. You told me that back January 2013. I'll never forget it because you said, I said, well, people have been telling me this is a book, but I don't know if I want to do it yet. Don't have a publishing company. She said, you said, you can self-publish. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's for you because you already made it. And you said, no. And you walked me through what the steps would be and who. And you also gave me access to people that helped you. And I'm forever grateful for that. But that's one of the first things you told me is that um, you have to be disciplined to write. And then you put my business out on Front Street. You said, when will your book be done? Give me a date. And I said, I don't know. Um, Give me six months. You went immediately on social media and said, my friend Tracy. (laughs) (laughs) You threw that social media accountability on me with the quickness. I was like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. (laughs) Look, did I do that? (laughs) Remind me, don't tell her nothing else. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) But it was what I needed. It was what I needed and and having that discipline. And you mentioned earlier, as far as you're working on another book, I'm already excited. I don't even know what it is about yet. Because because I have read every last one of them. And I I hope conditions change when this book is released and you can uh, have a a, a launch or or book signings because I have attended every one that I've known uh, you to have. And uh, you've even done book clubs. You even did a book club here at my in my home. And, you know, I'm so excited. So what's next? Yes. So I'm working on storylines for, gosh, a couple of different storylines. But one in particular is um, about finding your way home. Mm. And uh, that can mean different things to different people. But for this particular character, the protagonist in this book, she... Um, go. She's from a small town, and and most of my books are going to be set in small towns now, mm-hmm. um, because that's that's my comfort zone. That's where I come from, and so the juiciest stories are, are in small towns. But this lady comes from a small town, and she goes to the big city, but then she comes back home again, um, and she to rediscover herself, and in doing so. Um, you know, she uncovers family secrets, and mm. there, it, there's just a lot going on. But it, it's also about uh, removing generational curses as well. And so, I'm excited about this story. Wow! But I have several different stories, and I have to to pitch them to my editor and 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 see what uh, what sticks. You know, but I'm mm-hmm. working on that. I'm also working to revamp my blog, Fabulous Southern Bell. That has been a dream of mine for years and years. And wow. Yeah, it, it, it's a blog that's going to be dedicated to celebrating everything that I love, but with a Southern flair. So it's it's decorating, it's reading, it's writing, it's traveling, it's cooking, it's fashion, it's, you know, and, and I want to involve other creatives and do guest blogs with other creatives to to give them a platform, kind of like what you're doing here with the podcast. Mm-hmm. And and certainly we'll welcome you all to the blog as well. But Fabulous Southern Bell is something that I'm gearing up and hopefully can launch fully in 2021. And um, Wow. Fabulous yeah. Southern Bell is the perfect name for you. 
<laughs> because, <laughs> because you're the Martha Stewart. <laughs> I mean, and I know you're getting excited because Christmas time is it. You have the most beautiful decorations and all your stuff is just so appropriate and, and the finery and I'm like, because I think one time we had a discussion about a glass of wine and I was like, girl, on the right day, just give me a solo cup. And, <laughs> you know, but, you know, <laughs> you know, the difference between a white, white wine glass and a red wine glass and this. And I'm like, just 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 give me a little bit. You know, <laughs> but I can appreciate that because you're you're very polished in those areas. And you like I like, you know, decor, too. But you really. I just say Martha Stewart, the baking and the design, you know, it's just in you. And and I love it. And I'm so glad that you're bringing that to the forefront, because in a black woman's world, sometimes we think those things are reserved for races not of our own right. or colors not of our own. And I, I love the fact that you're lifting and, and shedding light on that, because there'll be so many people who we are very creative people. Yes. And sometimes we box ourselves out of arenas. Um, but I love that you're bringing light to this and, 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 and the name is perfect for you. Thank you, Tracy. And, you know, one of the things that I wanted to, to do with Fabulous Southern Belle, when we think about a Southern Belle, the architect of what a Southern Belle was is typically a white female from an aristocratic type of Southern background, you know, genteel and this and that. But mm -hmm. Southern bells can be really what Southern hospitality about is, is about is just manners. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Really, it's about manners. Etiquette is manners. It's about how to treat people. And what Southern bell, what a Southern bell really is, is a is a woman who has this strength, this steel magnolia, you know, um, mm. and. Hospitality, Southern hospitality is just about manners, having manners. Mm -hmm. you know? And so what we used to think of as a Southern Belle has transitioned over the years. And there are Black Southern Bells, White Southern Bells, Asian Southern Bells, mm -hmm. Native American Southern Bells, Latina Southern yes. Bells. You know, and, and, and so yes. that's what I want to bring to the blog. I love it. I love it. And and when you just said, you know, what it looks like, it looks different now. Um, I've been saying for years, the American dream is up for revision because sometimes we relay that to a particular color of people, what their American dream looks like, or it's a, a house, uh, uh, 2.5 kids and a dog, you know, but even the Southern Belle, that's up for revision because manners mean something, you know, even though, you know, you can... Um, have it more, uh, whether it be a, a three-course meal, a five-course meal, or a barbecue. There's still manners that we don't want to get lost when it comes to relating to people, um, even in conversation, dining, um, whatever. And those things mean a lot, and it can give a little more credence back to fellowship and uh, socializing, yeah. you know? But I, I'm also oh, I'm I'm excited, and I don't know how much bell I can bring to the ball, but um, <laughs> you're a bell. <laughs> but uh, but uh, how can we support you? I know that's coming, and and the different storylines you're offering. How can we support Tri Sigmund? Thank you so much for asking that, Tracy, and. You can support, whoever is listening can support me, number one, by just praying for me. 
pray, pray, mm. pray for me. And those prayers that go up, I will receive each one of them. Um, so prayer is number one. And if you want to support me career-wise, you can buy a book. And mm-hmm. you can go to okay. TriceHickman.com. Or my books are available also on Amazon, on anywhere where you can download digital content, whether it's Apple, Android, um, my books are available in audiobooks as well. And, and then another way to support is just tell another person about me. Just, you know, word of mouth is still one of the best ways to advertise. Yes, I agree. I agree. And here's words from my mouth. Support, author, businesswoman, uh, entrepreneur, writer, uh mentor in the world of authorship, wife, mom, daughter, support Trice Hickman. She is a sister indeed. And when we go back and listen to uh, the adjective uh, and the vibe of what a sister is, this sister right here embodies it all, or as they say now, she bodies it. And I want to thank you so much again, Trice, for being here. We have covered every base and we went in the outfield too. Um, <laughs> But I want to thank you for accepting my invitation to not only uh, so people can see who you are as a wonderful, beautiful black woman and sister Nista, but what you have shared today from grief to authorship to sexuality and business and support and family. You have just hit all the nails on the head. And I thank you. Is there anything else? You want our sister Nistas and sister Nista lovers of the Black Women's World podcast to know about you. Wow, to know about me. Um, well, one, let me just say again, thank you so much for inviting me on the program, on the show, and for just helping to uplift me through through supporting me and asking and encouraging other people to support me. I really appreciate um, I really, really appreciate that from the bottom of my heart. I think more than more than what I want people to know about me is what I would like people to know about themselves, meaning, you know, look within yourself. This is a time where many of us have been sequestered in our homes. We have been forced to live mm-hmm. life differently because of this raging pandemic that has engulfed every part of our everyday lives but it's giving us it's also going to give us an opportunity to look within and and see what's important to us and how we move forward and navigate through all of this and come out of this on the other side Mm -hmm. of it better than we were when we went through all of this and i know all of us can do it so that's what i would encourage everyone to do look within yourself find out what it is you want and go for it every day into that purpose with boldness don't apologize for it embrace it and then share it with someone else Mm. I love it I love it and I love you so much for just who you are and uh, all my sister nistas and sister nista lovers from all over the world, wherever you may be listening from, we hope you are encouraged and have enjoyed this conversation and time with Trice. And uh, I appreciate you for listening. 
and something uh, she just said about being you and taking care of yourself unapologetically. You know, I am your self-discovery companion. So everything solutions and self-discovery is what I do. I'm your professional peacemaker. And so that means that you have to know who you are so you can navigate relationships and they can know who they are getting. So I encourage you uh, to be yourself. Um, that during this time, like Trice just mentioned, uh, come out better on the other side because you can. Because like we say on the intro, that we are great because we can be great. And we know that Black women have always mattered and that we love you, we care, we see you, you're relevant. And I thank you for being in, with us in the Queendom today. I'm your host, Tracy Mack. Peace. You've been listening to Black Women's World Podcast, brought to you by Tracy Mack Solutions for Life Institute Coaching and Training Services. No doubt you have enjoyed being in our world, and it doesn't have to stop here. Head on over to blackwomensworld.com. That's blackwomensworld.com, where we keep our sisterhood growing. This is my personal invitation to you. There you can join the tribe who vibes everything Sister Nista. We keep the conversation going and ways to stay connected on social media and more. I'd love to see you there. And I'm so grateful you came to be with me here. Remember to be kind, authentic, generous, excellent. Be grateful. And while you're at it, go ahead and be extraordinary. Because that's just what we do. On purpose, through mission, with passion and compassion. Don't keep this to yourself. Invite someone else to join you in our queendom next time so they too can feel the Black Women's World love. I'm your host, Tracy Mack. Peace.